0: Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Point Church Online. Glad to have you with us. Thank you for joining us this morning, Uh, even virtually. We're really glad to have you here. And if you're listening to the podcast later, thank you for doing that. Hope your week is going uh, as well as it can and that you're encouraged uh, where you are despite all that's going on around us. Uh, Speaking of all that, I found myself this week uh, working from home practically all the time. And uh, maybe you are too. And uh, you know, as I'm working from home now, one of the things that you should know when I am in my home office, I have to go down my stairs to get down to my basement office. And, and as I do that, you know, I'm greeted at about eye level with an imprint on the drywall that is actually roughly the size of the side of someone's fist, as if almost in anger someone would take... Their fist and pound it on the drywall and, and leave an impression like that. It might actually be the size of a fist not unlike this, and it may have happened a few years ago when I was upset about something. I don't, can't even remember what it was exactly, but every time I walk down to my basement office, I'm, I see this this little indentation, this little impression, and I know where it came from. You know, right about now in the season that we're in, I kind of feel like for many of us, it would be nice to take a fist to life right now. It'd be nice to just kind of pound on something because of all that's going on. So many uncontrollables, so many unknowns, and so much stress and pressure that we feel and that that you're under. Wouldn't it be nice sometimes just to mm, pound on life for a minute? You know, I was um, meeting with someone here not too long ago, and they made the comment to me. They said, Tim, I'm feeling really angry about this. I mean, this thing has really got me going. They said, but I know it's not right for a Christian to be angry like this, so I'm trying to get it under control. And as I was talking with them, I said, you know, I don't know that it really is, um, you know, the best way to think about it, that Christians shouldn't be angry. In fact, I think Christians should be very angry, very angry about the right things in the right way and I get that from of all places the Bible and I get that from of all places the king of Israel King David now I get that at a time where he believed not he was so angry it's hard for me even to believe what he said it's hard for me even to believe that this is in the B-I-B-L-E that David would write about his enemy that he wanted him eliminated from the face of the earth, that he wanted his children to suffer, that he wanted all of his enemies' possessions to be taken, that he wanted his um, children never to find jobs later in life, that he wanted his enemy's mom's sins to be made known to everybody, and that he wanted um, him to find no forgiveness in life, even forgiveness by God. I mean, it's ridiculous. Listen to the way David writes in Psalm 109. He says, appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. He's talking to God. And let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty, and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes, May a creditor seize all that he has and may strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. And may the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sins always remain before the Lord, that he may blot out their name from the earth. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's like taking a fist to life and saying, I want to leave an impression, God, I'm angry. And here's what I'm angry about. That's what David did. And I asked myself the question this week, where in the world does that come from? Where does that kind of anger come from? Does it come from the devil? Does it it come from some kind of perverse desires within us that kind of snuck in there against God's design as if we were made for good things and made for peace and righteousness, but somehow there's this dark and evil wicked side of us that comes out every now and then. Where does this come from? And I'm convinced that it doesn't come from some flaw in our design. I'm convinced that anger is a part of our design. That anger is a part of us because it's a part of our creator. That we are made in the image of a God who himself is also angry. Here's what we read in Psalm 78. I'm going to put it up here for you to see. He unleashed, this is speaking about God, he unleashed against them his hot anger, his wrath, indignation, and hostility a band of destroying angels. He prepared a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave them over to the plague. I mean, I could go on and on in the Bible and show you places where God is legitimately and rightly angry. He is hot. And yes, God is a patient, kind, and loving Heavenly Father. But when he gets angry over evil and injustice, he will rage against it not unlike what I feel like doing when life becomes unjust, and maybe not unlike what you feel like doing when life becomes unjust for you. When your kids are at home and bored out of their mind, when you don't know what's going to happen with your business or your employees who you may need to lay off, when you're not able to visit your loved ones in the nursing home right now, and you're wondering if we're going to all run out of toilet paper at the same time. You know, what is going to happen? And there's this anger that is within us that's not too far under the surface. This morning what I want to talk about in this disrupted series is how the Christian should view um, anger in healthy and unhealthy ways. I want to compare the two of them. I want to list some characteristics of unhealthy anger and healthy anger in the context of being people who are made in the image of God. So I want to give credit here this morning, especially to Dan Allender. One of his books, Cry of the Soul, has been very helpful to me in this space. And I want to talk about unhealthy, again, versus healthy anger. So let me begin this way by talking about unhealthy anger. Unhealthy anger, as you think about it, and four characteristics I want to identify. Unhealthy anger, first of all, limits choice. It limits choice. And here's what I mean by that. It takes... It, it it takes someone who's in charge and says, "I'm going to, through shame or intimidation, make the people around me not have freedom to choose what they want to do because I'm going to limit their choices because of what I need." For example, you know, in our home, um, I'm spending a lot more time at home right now, and as Jen and I sometimes together are unloading the dishwasher, I'm on one side and, and she's on the other. As the dishwasher is unloaded, we have glasses or cups that are on the top rack of the dishwasher, and we'll, we'll pull them out, and our cupboard for our glasses is directly above the dishwasher. And so my thought is, well, if I'm on the one side, I'll take the glasses out, set them, on the, set them all on the counter, and then let you on that side put them right in the cupboard because the door opens toward me, and it's easier that way. Meanwhile, Jen is under the impression that that's a waste of energy. It's easier and better to take the cups and put them all in one fluid motion right into the cupboard, skip that middle step. What a waste of time. I may have someone else in my family who's on my side of it, but when I am in the process of unloading the dishwasher and I set the cups up there, and then when I make a snide remark about it or a sarcastic comment or a joke... And I attempt to essentially limit the choice of my partner in dishwashing, unloading, of what she can do in the freedom to choose a way to unload the dishwasher. Like I'm mildly upset that we're not doing it my way. And I want to limit the choice so that it can be done my way, kind of no matter, no matter what. Have you ever been driving with someone who's a backseat driver and they say, you really want to go that way? Why do you want to go that way? In other words, they want to limit your choices so that you can do it their way. Healthy anger, in the, on the other side, offers freedom of choice to people. Healthy anger offers freedom of choice. But it does so, oftentimes it does so by offering a taste of, of pain to compel a change. In unloading the dishwasher with Jen, um, if I'm... <laughs> If I'm going to have freedom of choice, I need to understand that I'm going to potentially lose my partner in dishwasher unloading if I continue to act the way that I act. If I keep talking about it the way I'm talking about it, then I'm going to have pain and lose the person that I'm doing this job with. It's kind of like kids who are disobedient giving them freedom of choice when you see them taking their siblings' toys, for example. Instead of coming in and just demanding a change of behavior, as great parents know, you know this, that you want to encourage their heart to change. You want to compel them to change and encourage this freedom of choice to indicate, you know, you can give this back to your brother or sister. You have a choice in what you do, but I just want to remind you that if you don't, there's going to be consequences. Is it a threat? Sure. But it's meant to be a little bit of a pain to compel change, giving freedom of choice to the child. And if they don't choose, then the good parent carries through on those consequences. So unhealthy anger tries to limit the choice of people around them. Healthy anger gives freedom of choice. Unhealthy anger wants to consume others, wants to consume others. Um, I don't think there's a greater example of this than what we're going through right now. Uh, Unhealthy anger says this, that um, there's not enough things around that I'm afraid of running out and I need to consume that, which I have. I'm going to acquire things that fill an emptiness inside of me. It's kind of trying to get a little bit of heaven right now for myself. And right now, uh, panic buying is a great example of this. Um, Are we all going to run out of toilet paper, right, at the same time? I'm going to consume the products that I need for my family because I'm angry that the supply chain is running out. You know, I'm going to just consume that for me. Um, Consuming is not just consuming others, but also consuming people. If you know anyone right now, especially who has been driven by a frenetic pace, who is a boss or a family member, who is always driving and always moving and always going forward, there's this almost consuming of people that we will do. Like I might need my employees to carry on what I want them to do for our company and kind of burn through people. I'm going to consume you to meet my desires. I'm going to consume you so that I can get done what I want to do. On the other hand, healthy anger, instead of consuming others, desires to bless others. That's the exact opposite. Instead of looking at the grocery store aisle and saying there's only a little bit of toilet paper here or or none, You know, it says, I am angry. I'm angry. I'm angry that our supply chain is running out. I'm still angry about it. But what I'm going to do with that anger is I'm going to desire to bless others through it. I'm going to donate. I'm going to give. I'm going to bless even while I'm angry that there's something wrong. Perhaps in the business world, this is another way to look at it. If you're trying to get an objective met or a quarterly goal met, and your employees aren't performing the way you want, the desire is, you know what, I'm angry that we're not getting where we want to get to, but what I want to do is I want to bless this employee by meeting with them and talking about their wiring, their giftedness, their passion, their fit, and helping them understand, listen, we need to get here, right? I'm disappointed that we're not here yet. I'm disappointed maybe in your performance. I'm disappointed in whatever, and I want to move here. But I want to talk with you. I want to work with you to bless you, to make sure that you understand your wiring and your fit so that we can together move in this space. Healthy anger does that. It's a desire to bless other people. Unhealthy anger does this. It punishes others. It punishes other people. Unhealthy anger needs to have a a space to um, blame someone for the pain that we feel. Unhealthy anger says, I need to blame the president. I need to blame my government. I need to blame the school. I need to blame leaders in my community. I need to blame my family, maybe my kids, my spouse, whoever it is. But there has to be someone who will pay for what is going on. It's got to be somebody's fault. Healthy anger, however, wounds for repentance. It wounds for repentance. In other words, it's the, the execution of your... Um, child's discipline policy. It's saying, you know what, junior? I told you if you took your sister's toys again, I was going to punish you, and now I need to. It's going to hurt, but trust me, it's not going to hurt as much as it will hurt you later if you blow through all authority now in your life. And so I'm going to hurt you now for the sake of repentance, trying to bring your heart to be soft to understand. You need to respect authority. It's the same idea of um, putting someone on probation, let's say, rather than firing them at work. It's this idea of having a hard family conversation with a spouse or someone in your extended family to say, we need to talk about where our relationship is, and it's possible that I'm going to hurt you in the conversation. It's possible that I'll be on the outside after this conversation is over. But I might need to hurt you, not because I want to, but because I want to save this whole relationship from further pain down the road. And I'm angry that it isn't where it should be right now. There's a wounding that can come, designed for repentance. Unhealthy anger also does this. Unhealthy anger fights against God. It fights against God. And I love the way Dan Allender writes in his book, Cry of the Soul. He says, it's a hatred of vulnerability and love of control. Unhealthy anger is a hatred of vulnerability and a love for control. I love the way that's said. It's almost as if you're saying to God, God, I don't want to be in connection to you. I don't want to be in service to you. If you are my master, if you are the king and I'm your servant... If you are overseeing this unfair and unjust world, I don't want to be connected to you. I want to disconnect from that relationship, so I'm going to hack away at that with my fist if I need to. I'm going to want to break that relationship because I don't believe that you can be a God who is a king who can bring justice. I want to break free from that. I'm going to fight against that. Ironically, when we do that, when we try to break free from that, We actually find that the desires of our soul become even more empty. It leaves us in a spot where we are yearning for even more. Healthy anger, rather than fighting against God, submits to God. In the moment when we're angry, in the moment when we're angry, and here's the key for me, when I'm angry and walking down the steps, whatever caused me to bash the wall, right? In that moment, before I bash the wall, the point is this, the fury of healthy and unhealthy anger, might be equal. I might be equally as angry in both cases. The question is, what is my first instinct right as I am agitated or provoked to anger? Healthy anger will say, I want to. I want to submit to God in this anger. I want to ask the question, before I pound life, God. God. Who are you right now in this space? What are you teaching me about who you are and who I am? Before I act, I want to hear from. I want to learn. I want to sit and wait for a minute. And I want to feel the anger. I want to feel the fury. I want to put it in perspective and let you be God. My biggest concern for Christians in this area is that Christians won't care enough. Is that Christians will repress their anger. Is that Christians will become dispassionate. That Christians will stop caring about the injustices and the evil and the wrong of life. They'll stop caring about disparity that's happening right in their own communities. My biggest concern is not that you're too angry, but maybe that you're not angry enough. That you've come to accept that this is just the way life is. This is just the way societal ills are. There's some people with more and some people with less, and that's just the way it is. But Christians, Christians are angry at injustice. Christians react to evil and wrong and suffering in healthy ways. In fact, it was Moses who actually gives us some of the best guidance on this that I have found in the Scriptures. And I want to take you there right now. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn quickly here to Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90, I'm going to give you a time to find it there in your living room. Find at least somebody in your living room or on your phone right now, you know, wherever you're watching this. Take a moment and look up Psalm chapter 90. It's right in the middle of a paper Bible, or if you don't have a paper Bible around, you can download the version Bible app and find Psalm chapter 90 in there. It's kind of right in the middle of your Bible. And Moses wrote that Psalm, <clears throat> and he was writing, giving us an incredible perspective on this idea of a God who is angry and what it does for us. And so I'm going to jump into Psalm chapter 90 and verse 7 and go through just verse 12 here this morning. Moses is writing, he says this, We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. And then he says in verse 11, If only, if only we knew the power of your anger. Now, look at that. Moses is yearning for something. If only, and what I think he should be writing there is, well, goodness, because life is in a little box and I'm only going to live 70 or 80 years, what I would write is, boy, if only you would be close to me. Boom. If only you would bless my family. You know, boom. If only you could be a a good shepherd who would always carry me through all the peaks and valleys of life. Like, I would yearn for the grace and the blessing of God and his presence to touch every part of my life. Like, if only, this is the only part of life I have. If only. But he says, if only we knew the power of your anger. Isn't that crazy? Why would he write that? Like of all the things to yearn for, if only we knew the power of your anger. Isn't that crazy? Then he goes on to say this. Verse 11b. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Why would Moses write, verse 11, if only we knew the power of your anger? Why would he say that? Here's what I believe. The reason he says that is this that if we knew the power of God's anger, we would not feel so compelled to pick up our own anger so violently as we do. If we understood God's true fury toward evil and injustice, that we wouldn't be so quick to bang our fist on life and leave a mark if we understood the power of God's anger that he is a sovereign king who will one day bring justice to all, if we understood the power of that, our anger would come in proportion to that. Our image being made in the image of God, we reflect a portion of that anger in us, which is why you get upset and I get upset about injustice and suffering and evil. But Moses tells us, if only we understood the power of your anger, because your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. What does that mean? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. What he's saying is that your wrath is so strong that it, it asks for it, yearns for it, begs for us to come under your rulership. This fear of the Lord idea in the Old Testament is this idea that we come under the rule of God that we submit ourselves to God. So because of God's great wrath, he's saying, listen, here's a good idea. Why don't you frame your life under the power of a God who is indeed incredibly loving, but also angry at evil and injustice. Here's a bright idea. Frame your life under that, that you may come not cowering in fear, but in fear in the sense of reverence, respect, and honor to that king. Then he says in verse 12, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That we could, that we could, remembering how frail and limited we are, that we could remember that the way that we feel right now about the uncertainties of the future, the way we feel right now about what could be and what might be and what will happen, if that can all come under the sovereign hand of a, loving God and a God who sees and knows injustice there can be wisdom to be had in that now as I wrap this up just a couple things to say if you've heard nothing else here's what I want to tell you I want to encourage you please don't repress your anger please don't repress your anger you know There's a verse that you may want to jot down, Psalm 4, 4. It says, in your anger, do not sin. When you're on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. What I'm going to do with my anger, I'm not going to try to sin in it, but I'm going to process it. I'm going to feel it. And I'm going to move forward. And what do I do? Instead of repressing my anger, what do I do? I want to encourage you this way. Sit, wait, and consider. Sit, wait, and consider. When you feel the anger, when you feel the injustice, I want to encourage you, before you send the email, before you pound on life, before you rant against the government or against your local leaders, before you gossip about someone's character or talk about how terrible a leader or person is, before we do those things, I want to just encourage you. Sit and wait. Sit and wait. And give this thing some space, indeed, yes, to wash over your soul, to feel the injustice of what you're feeling and the pain of financial loss the hurt of uncertainty and the anxiety your kids are going through and you are trying to help them through that. There is real pain and hurt there and anger that you even have to deal with this. But then I want you to consider, when you to consider three things. First of all, I want you to consider your desire. What do you actually want in this situation? Do you want to wound or do you want to heal? Do you want to punish or do you want to protect? You want to be able to bless somebody through this or just ruin them? Consider your desire. Secondly, I want you to do this, to consider your own sin. To consider your own sin. Has there ever been a time where someone has done to you, or that you have done what someone has just done to you? Consider your own sin in light of what you're angry about right now. And third, I want you to do this, to consider God's anger. To consider God's anger. If your anger ever makes you want to slam your hand against the wall, know this, that that blow is the same blow that God delivered to his son on the cross on our behalf. That the anger of God was turned toward his son, Jesus Christ, and in all of heaven's fury, allowed his son to be crucified to the point of death for you and for me. But our anger comes in perspective under the ultimate anger of God. And so I want to encourage you, if I can, during this season that you're in, please don't repress your anger. Sit, wait, and consider your desire, your own sin, and God's anger. That we can be people, even in this season, even this hard season, that we can be people who provide freedom of choice rather than limiting it. We can be people who are people who desire to bless rather than consume. That we can be people who provide healthy responses to our anger rather than unhealthy. That people will look at Christians and say, yeah, I see. I see that you see injustice and I see that you care. Thank you for being here and for understanding the pain that we're going through. Anger is a funny thing, isn't it? And it's a hard thing. Far from being perfect, I just want to encourage you to try. And I want to encourage you to lean on a God who knows you and loves you and a God who made you in his image. and That includes this part of anger. This has been Disrupted Part 2. I want to encourage you to come back next week. Disrupted Part 3 as we look at fear and the role that it plays in our life, especially at a time like this. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the time we could share this morning as we gather around thinking about the impact of anger on our lives, even what we feel right now with all that's out of control and all that's uncertain. I pray that you would give us the wisdom and the courage to do what we need to do to handle our anger in ways that are appropriate and to seek healthy rather than unhealthy approaches to our anger. So Father, we thank you for the opportunities that lie ahead, I pray that you would help us to be a blessing and a gift to people around us, and may the injustice and the pain and suffering we see provoke us to healthy anger, to pursue you and others in love during this season. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.